You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk Church. How's everybody doing today? It's so, so good to see all of you um, that are here worshiping with us in person, and I'm thankful for everyone that is also joining in with us online this morning. Uh, if you got your Bibles, you got a smart device, I want to encourage you to turn with me or swipe with me to the New Testament. The Bible, in case you're unaware, is uh, separated into two larger chunks of Scripture. You have the Old Testament towards the front of the Bible and then the New Testament towards the back of the Bible. And then we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 2 um, this morning. So you got the first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and those uh, are the Gospels because they tell the good news of the story of the life and teachings of Jesus. And then the fifth book there is the book of Acts, and it tells all about the, um, the establishment of the early church. And so we're going to be taking a look at Acts chapter 2 uh, this morning. We're going to land there in just a moment today uh, because today is Pentecost Sunday, um, and it is an incredible celebration for us. Um, and ultimately, because Pentecost Sunday took place, it's the reason why you and I are gathered together in this place here this morning. The, uh, traditionally, the Jews um, celebrate three annual feasts. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which some of us may know as Passover. They also celebrate the Feast of Weeks. And then uh, finally, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And Pentecost, when we talk about the, that term Pentecost, it's simply the Greek term for the Feast of Weeks, which takes place 50 days after the Passover. So penta means 50. And so from, from that derivative, we get the term Pentecost. And the reason we celebrate Pentecost is because it establishes or it signifies the establishment of the church of Jesus Christ on the earth. And Acts chapter 2, um, hopefully you've turned there or swiped there with me by now, uh, in, in beginning in verse 1, uh, it records the story of what happened this way. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they, speaking of the believers, the, the 120 um, or so uh, disciples of Christ that were there, it says they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, on this day, you have to imagine you're in Jerusalem and uh, all of these Jews from all over have gathered for this celebration. And then those that have had this experience with Jesus, they have now um, witnessed his earthly ministry. They have seen him die on the cross. They have seen him resurrect from the dead and come out of the grave. And then they were standing there watching as he ascended back into heaven. They are all gathered together to seek after what is next for their mission as the believers, as the church of Jesus Christ on the earth. 
And so they're gathered together in this upper room and uh, the wind starts to blow and these tongues of fire come down and they all begin to proclaim, um, uh, speak in other tongues as the spirit enables them. It's a, a brand new experience for the believers on this day. And it's in the midst of all of these other people that have gathered together in Jerusalem. And so this, this commotion that's going on, it, it draws a crowd um, that have, have gathered to celebrate the feast. They, they hear all of this that's taking place. And so people start together trying to figure out what in the world is happening over here. And, and some within the crowd, the, the, uh, the book of Acts continues to tell us as we read along, it says that, that some within the crowd, they were, they were uh, amazed at the work of God that was on display in that moment. But others in the crowd began to point fingers and, and poke fun of this new experience that was happening in the life of the believers. And, and they began to accuse them of having had too much wine. And Peter one of Christ's original 12 disciples, he steps forward and he addresses the crowd that had gathered there that that day by delivering a sermon. And in that sermon, he pointed out that, number one, those that were speaking in tongues that day, that they weren't drunk. After all, it was only nine o'clock in the morning. And then he also referenced what the prophet Joel proclaimed in the Old Testament in Joel chapter two, verses 28 through 32, which says, then after doing all those things, or then perhaps your translation may say something like, in the last days, it says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. This is God speaking to the people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on your servants, men and women alike. And I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter, in his address to the crowd, he's simply pointing out that this is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy that has now come to be realized within the body of those who have believed on Jesus. And it's at that point that he then proclaims the message of the gospel, that God has raised Jesus from the dead and that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. In Acts 2, 38 and 39, and then also verse 41, it says, Peter replied, each of you must repent repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you, to your children, and to those far away or to those that are yet to come, those in the future. All who have been called by the Lord our God. This is the message of the gospel. And then in verse 41, we read that those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. And at that moment, the church of Jesus Christ on this earth was born. And so we fast forward from there a couple thousand years to the future, and you and I were all gathered here today as a result of what took place on Pentecost following the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And one of the things that I love so much about Christ Walk Church in particular is all of the different people that comprise this body of believers. We've got people from different age groups, people from different backgrounds, people from different walks of life. We have people coming from different church experiences and expressions, people from all different sorts of denominational backgrounds and upbringings. We have people from non-denominational backgrounds and upbringings. We have people here that have no previous church experience, and this is the only expression and experience of church that they have ever known. And I think that our church is really an accurate representation of what heaven is going to look like when we make it there someday. And as beautiful as all of that is to talk about and think about of what is yet to come, it does present some challenges for a leader like myself when it comes to clarifying and understanding in regard to our belief and doctrine. Because we have so many people coming from so many different places and backgrounds and persuasions and understandings. And in case you're unaware, this particular church is under the denominational covering of the Church of God out of Cleveland, Tennessee. And as such, we ascribe to a Pentecostal view in regard to our doctrine, and also a charismatic view in regard to our expression of worship. Now, if those two terminologies are uh, foreign to you, let me, let me kind of break them down a little bit. Pentecostal, the best way that I can describe that is that it simply means that what happened both on and as a result of the day of Pentecost, which we just read about in the book of Acts, is still happening today. Now, there's, there's kind of two different lines of thought there. One is um, cessationism, which is just a fancy term to mean that, that a lot of people think that, that for um, the, the outpouring and the gifts and the display of the Holy Spirit, that it ceased with the death of the original apostles. However, uh, a Pentecostal view of, of Scripture would say that, that we're not cessationists, we are actually continuationists, and we believe that we are still in that, that age of what the early church was in, of Acts chapter 2, and that the, the outpouring, the dispensation, the display of the Holy Spirit in that manner is still happening and taking place today. Amen. And then charismatic, thank you for that, charismatic, uh, simply means um, it's an expression of worship that is connected to one's emotions, and it's often characterized by the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, including things like speaking in tongues or healing or things of, of, of that ilk. And, and it, it also um, would display itself, and that's why you see people in our worship gatherings singing out loud or shouting or clapping or raising their hands or, or moving around, that we believe that worship of our God, it's something to be engaged in with our emotions. So it is a very emotional experience, but it is not driven by emotionalism. Those are two very different things. It's, it's not about what it feels like to us. It's that we are so overwhelmed by the love and the grace and the, the, the presence of God in our life that we can't help but to respond in a way that is connected with and communicated by our emotions. 
And, and I won't stand here this morning and try to hide the fact that the Pentecostal and charismatic movement is off-putting to some people. I've, I've been a part of this for 40 years of my life, since nine, nine months before I was born. I've been a part of this movement. And, and so, like, I, I know what it's like to be the weird Pentecostal kid at school. I know what that's like. And, and in fact, there's, there's no doubt that, that at least some of you that are here today, that upon telling a friend or a family member where you go to church or what type of church you belong to, that you received a, a raised eyebrow in return or maybe a side eye or perhaps even something worse. I don't know. And at least part of the reason for this is because throughout our history, not, not just the history of Christ Walk Church, but throughout the history of the Pentecostal charismatic movement, we've had some well-meaning ministers and leaders make some things out to be something that they really weren't. And unintentionally, they ended up causing confusion or hurt or both. And so if that's you this morning, you're here in this room and you've experienced that as a result of this movement, you're, you're watching online and maybe you've experienced that or you know somebody that has, I, allow me to apologize on their behalf. Allow me to apologize. And, and the, the truth is, that this morning, my concern is, is not to uphold any kind of denominational ideals or to further any expression of worship arbitrarily just for the sake of tradition. That's pointless. But rather, and I hope that you can hear my heart in all of this, my goal is to create as much clarity as possible around the content of Scripture and how it applies to our lives, both as individuals and as the body of Christ at large. A little over four years ago, when I stood in this pulpit for the first time as the pastor of Christ Walk Church, I, I made a promise to everyone that was there that I would do my best to not shy away from speaking to any subject from this pulpit, even when it may be difficult to tackle. And today's subject, quite frankly, is one of those times. In fact, the Apostle Paul himself even referred to this subject, this topic, as mysterious in the book of 1 Corinthians. And, and I suppose that it's so difficult because to a lot of us, it, it just isn't easy to understand. And what I've come to discover is that often with our lack of understanding about something, it, it tends to increase our discomfort level with it. The, the, the less we understand about something, the more uncomfortable we are with it. And, and when, when we don't fully understand something, it, it creates a certain hesitancy toward it or, or perhaps even just a desire to avoid it altogether. But we're not going to do that here this morning, and I'm not going to do that because I love you and I care about you too much and I want so much more for you here this morning. So let me be clear. As the pastor of this church, it is my desire that we be deeply spiritual. But at the same time, it's also my desire that while we are deeply spiritual, that we are not spooky, kooky, or weird. See, I hope and it's my prayer that Christ Walk Church can be the Pentecostal church that you can invite your friends to. 
more than anything. Like that, that's what I want to see happen. Not because we shy away from what it means to be fully Pentecostal, but rather because we take a biblically sound approach and we're sensitive to those who may not have a full grasp of awareness or understanding on the teachings of Scripture around topics in this area. And so with that said, let me, let me lay a little groundwork in regard to speaking in tongues because perhaps it's something that is, is new for some people that are here this morning. It's something that maybe you don't know a lot about, and if so, that's okay. I've been trying to figure it out for 40 years, and I'm still wrestling with it today. So here's what we know to be true about speaking in tongues in accordance with the scriptures. Here's what we know to be true. First off, tongues was the initial evidence for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost as recorded in Acts chapter 2 verse 4. We've already read that here this morning. Tongues was also the evidence given for spirit baptism or what many of you may refer to as being filled with the Holy Spirit in other instances in the book of Acts. Consider Acts chapter 10 Verses 44 through 46. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Consider also Acts chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. As soon as they speaking of the believers in Ephesus, heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. We continue on reading in other instances of the book of Acts, uh, specifically Acts 4.31 says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 8, verses 18 and 19. When Simon, who was a sorcerer, when he saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on the people, he offered them money to buy this power. He said, let me have this power too, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we see some interesting things at work here. We see that that whenever the Holy Spirit comes, that there is some sort of outward manifestation. In a couple of these instances, it was specifically speaking in tongues, and that's often coupled with something else that takes place, with, with prophecy or with praising God or with proclaiming the word of God with boldness. And in the last two references, the Acts 4 reference and the Acts 8 reference, the Bible does not definitively say that tongues was the result of the believers being filled with the Holy Spirit. However, it is clear that there was some sort of outward manifestation that was present that served as an indicator that the Holy Spirit had been received. And so this morning, like, I refuse to split hairs with anyone. The fact of the matter is, if, if you view tongues as the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or an initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I can see things from both perspectives. But what I, I believe cannot be ignored by what the scriptures teach it is that tongues is the normative evidence of one being baptized in the Holy Spirit. That more often than not, 
that in the Bible, when, when we read of this outpouring in the, the early church that existed beginning in Acts chapter 2, that, that what we see time and time again communicated is that the normative experience for the believers subsequent to faith in Jesus Christ is that, that, that when, when the Holy Spirit uh, was, was active, came to indwell in the believer uh, at, at the point of salvation, that later they were then filled with the Holy Spirit's overflowing. And, and the normative response, what resulted was them speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The best way that I can explain that is that when we get Get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And it is like a well that is in our soul that is containing the Holy Spirit. However, when we get baptized, when we get filled with, when we get fully immersed and we surrender control of all of our parts to the Holy Spirit, then that well turns into a river that then flows out of us. And the Holy Spirit not only occupies us, but it occupies the space around us where he is welcomed. That is how that takes place in the life of the believer. And, and many people, they, they have questions. This is not in my notes, but I'm very passionate about this. So I'm going to get off for a second, and then we'll, we'll get back to it. Uh, many people have the question of, well, how, how does this happen? When, when one is speaking in tongues, like what is actually the process, or, or how does that look? And, and I can't give you like a step one, two, or three of do this and do that and do this, and then, then it's going to help. But what I do know is that that gift, that it is something that is received by faith and that is it's us stepping out in faith and putting our trust in God as the gift giver and what I know right now the, the best way that I've heard it explained is that that right now there are radio waves bouncing all over this room some of you have heard me use this illustration before there are radio waves, there, there's, there's noise, there's sound, there's communication that is taking place all over this room. And the reason that we don't hear it is because we don't have anything tuned in to that frequency. But if we were to turn on a radio and we were to tune it in to the specific frequency, that, that, that radio wave would be picked up and then through the speaker, it would be proclaimed what is being spoken across those radio waves. It's the same thing with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's us, by faith, positioning ourselves, tuning in to the frequency of the Holy Spirit, and then we become the speaker, the vessel through which the Spirit flows, and His voice then comes out of our mouth. That is how that it happens. And so, so while, while we're, we're not 100% certain the way that we read the book of Acts and, and what's in there, that every single time it doesn't say that, that tongues was the result. We do know that that is the normative result. And it's also clear that these kinds of experiences from Acts chapter 2 on through the existence of the early church and, and what we have recorded in the scriptures, that these types of experiences were commonplace in the church of the New Testament, of which you and I are a part of today. But they were not arbitrary. It wasn't just we spoke in tongues for the sake of speaking in tongues. And my goodness, how cool is that? We had just a great service that morning. You know? It wasn't anything like that. It was, it was the Holy Spirit was given to us intentionally for a purpose. Consider some of these benefits that the Bible talks about. The Holy Spirit is given to believers so that they will have power to be Christ's witnesses. Acts 1.8 so that there will be the production of spiritual fruit in their life. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. 
The Holy Spirit is given to the believer for the dispensation of spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 31. The Holy Spirit is poured out so that the believers can perform mighty works, Acts 6, verses 5 and 8, to give us an increased ability to stand in the face of hostility and persecution, Acts 4, 13, to provide the guidance into all truth, John 16, 13, to bring about a greater awareness of God's presence, Romans 5, 5, to bring about an increased spiritual sensitivity, Acts 13, verses 8 through 10, to develop a greater love for Scripture, Acts 13, 16 through 41, to provide an openness to the gifts of the Spirit, Acts 3, verses 1 through 8, to bring about a greater consecration of the believer to God, Acts 2, 42, to instill a greater measure of joy in the life of the believer, Acts 2, 46, to, to bring about boldness in the proclamation of the gospel, Acts 2 and 36, and the list goes on and on and on. So my question is this morning, knowing all of that, why do we get so afraid? Why do we get so hesitant about the gifts that God wants to give us? And and the reason is, is that because a lot of the things surrounding the Holy Spirit and the manifestation and how he works and moves and operates, they seem weird or strange. True? They seem weird and strange, but the truth is, is that we're the ones who are weird and strange. The Holy Spirit is not weird or strange. And that truth carries on into the fact that that God loves us and he wants what is best for us. So we don't have to be afraid. We can trust him because the Holy Spirit is a gift that is given to us by the very best gift giver. Like think of the greatest Christmas gift or birthday gift you ever received. And you think, man, now that's, that's a good gift giver right there. You know, God's even better than that. He wants good things for his children. He wants to give us good things for our benefit to produce some stuff in our lives that, that without it is lacking. And so maybe the question on your mind today, and I know that it's a question that I've asked time and time and time again over the course of my life growing up in this Pentecostal charismatic movement is, why tongues? Of all things, why did it have to be that? And if you're wrestling with that question here this morning, you're not alone. Because it's something that I still go back to the scriptures over and over and over again. And I look and I try to dissect and, and try to figure it out. And my wife and I, we have conversations and I have conversations with uh, pastor friends. And it's something that we talk about quite often. I believe the most glaring answer to that question, why tongues, comes to us from James chapter 3. This is actually the brother of Jesus who has written this letter in the New Testament, and in James chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Honey, that was your opportunity for an amen right there, if there ever was one. <laughs> Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. What James is saying here is that whatever has control over your tongue has control over you. He continues on this chapter. It's this long discourse, and I'm not gonna, gonna, I don't have time to go through it all, but he continues in this chapter to describe the tongue as wicked, as full of corruption, and as set on fire by hell. 
Later on in the chapter, in verses 7 and 8 of James 3, he says, People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. And as I read that, I I can't help but believe that, that perhaps this gives us some insights into why when the believers of the early church fully surrendered their life to the work of the Holy Spirit, that speaking in tongues became the normative result of what happened. The Apostle Paul, in fact, he, he tells the, the Corinthian believers in his letter in 1 Corinthians, and we find this in, in a couple places in, in uh, chapter 14. He says that, that, number one, he wishes that they all spoke in tongues. So we have the Apostle Paul communicating to believers in Corinth that, that speaking in tongues is of benefit to themselves as individuals and as beneficial to the body. And then he also says later in that chapter that he speaks in tongues more than any of them do. It says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 4 and 5, and then also verse 18. This is Paul writing. He says, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy, for prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. So this is a gift to be desired. It's something to be sought after, and it's something to thank God for. When, when someone speaks in tongues personally or, or privately, that person edifies himself. And when someone speaks in tongues publicly, like in a corporate worship gathering, and the interpretation is given, then the church is edified. And when that happens... It supersedes prophecy because it's assigned to both the unbeliever and the believer at the same time. And so as you can see, there's a great benefit from receiving the gift of tongues. But let's not get it twisted this morning. The goal here is not that we seek after tongues. The goal here is that we seek after the Holy Spirit. That's the key. We're not going after a particular result. We are seeking after a God who loves us and has gifts that he wants to give and to bestow in our life. And so hear me when I say, my concern is not that Christ Walk Church be known in our community as that group of tongue talkers. That's not what we're after. But rather... I want us to be known as a church that is full of the presence of the Lord that operates in the power of Pentecost. The specific manifestation of the Holy Spirit, whether it's tongues or otherwise, is ultimately of no consequence. And it's not my agenda here this morning or any time to try and dictate how the Holy Spirit chooses to operate in the lives of his people and his church. And here's what I know to be true. The Spirit produces in the life of the believer particular fruit. Paul writes about this in Galatians 5. It says the the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so while I'm not concerned about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, I am concerned about the product of, Of the Holy Spirit. Because you show me a people that are producing the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and I will show you a people that are operating in the power of Pentecost 
that are full of the Spirit. Because the Bible tells us that we know a tree by its tongues, right? No, we know a tree by its fruit. And the health of the fruit serves as an indicator of the health of the tree. And so for over, what's happened is is, is that for over 2,000 years since that initial day of Pentecost, we as the church, we've we've drifted. And and we've created, there's been a distance that has been created between the church today and how it began on the day of Pentecost. And the question would be, well, why do we not see things happen like this the way they once did? And it's because of that drift. It's because we've gotten away from how things were when the church initially started. And, and so, so for the next few minutes, as, as I close out this message, I just want to give you, give you three keys right here to how, how we reclaim the power of Pentecost. How can we reclaim the power of Pentecost? Three very simple things. The first one, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. The first one, to reclaim the power of Pentecost, we've got to get close to Jesus. We've got to get close to Jesus. John chapter 20, verse 22. It says, then Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I find it interesting that he breathed on them. That's weird. We don't like people to breathe on us. Like if someone's breathing on you, you take a step back. It's just innate. It's natural, especially if they've had coffee or tuna fish. (laughs) You know, like we can still be friends. I don't need to know what you had for lunch, okay? Like you got to be close to somebody for them to breathe on you. And a lot of us, we live our lives just close enough to Jesus to make it to heaven, but not close enough that it actually inconveniences us in any way. The truth is, we can't be full of power if we're not connected to the power source. We got all these lights and all this electrical equipment and this microphone and everything. And what if they were like, almost plugged in this morning, right? They would be useless to us. They wouldn't be working. Like It's got to be all the way connected. It's got to be all the way plugged in. We got to be close enough that that we're connected. But a, a lot of Christians today, and I'm not talking about people outside the church. I'm talking about people inside the church. A lot of us, our, our biggest problem is that we, we treat our relationship with Christ like we're doing the hokey pokey. We put our right foot in, and then we take our right foot out. We put our right, and sometimes it's our left arms in, but then our left arms out. We got to get our whole self in and then just sit. Quit doing this dance of, yeah, on Sunday, but then not on Monday through Saturday. And, oh, this looks cool. I'd like to experience that. But really, I don't want any of that. No, we got to get in where we fit in and just sit there. That's how we've got to be. Because if we want to reclaim the power of Pentecost, if if we want in these last days, if we want our church to operate the way the, the first church did of which we are still a part of that movement 2,000 years later, then then first and foremost, we've got to get close to Jesus. Number two, we've got to wait on Jesus. We've got to wait on Jesus. Not only do we get close to him, but we've got to wait on him. Luke 24, 49. 
Jesus says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Stay here until the Holy Spirit comes. Those are Jesus' specific instructions to his disciples. It's, it's, it's in accordance. What this communicates is that, that the coming of the Holy Spirit, how he wants to dispense it upon us and in us and, and operate and manifest it through his church, it's, it's on his timeline and it's not on ours. There's an old song we used to sing. He's an, old, he's an on-time God. Oh, yes, he is. He's an on-time God. Oh, yes, he is. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time because he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. But you and I, we're always in a hurry to move on to the next thing. We got to get to a meeting. We've got an appointment. What's for lunch? Some of y'all think about that right now. Well, this guy, shut up. I got to get to Burger King so I can have it my way. Well, guess what? It ain't about you. It's about the Holy Spirit and what he's wanting to do in our lives. We, we got to check off the to-do list and the honey-do list and all of those other lists. Makes me think of that bumper sticker that I, that I saw that one time that said, Jesus is coming. Look busy. No. Jesus is coming. Get ready. We don't look busy. We get ready for him. And the way that we get ready for him is by abiding in his presence. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Isaiah 40.31, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Mark 14.37, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is there. He's got his disciples. He's praying. He's getting ready to go to the cross. I mean, he is like intensely praying. His sweat is turning to blood. And he goes and he sees the disciples and they're snoozing. They're asleep. They're snoring. And he's like, hey, can you not watch with me for even one hour? I can't help but wonder, when is the last time that we just got caught up in the presence of God? And that we said, I don't care about what the calendar says. I don't care about what's coming up next. I'm communing with my heavenly father, the creator of the universe, that he is here with me and in me and all around me. And I just want to sit here and just soak in it for a little while. When's the last time that that happened? For some of us, it's been a while. So the question is, is that when the spirit chooses to move, are we going to be there waiting in expectation? Or are we going to miss out because we've already moved on to the next thing? Looking for something else. We have to get close to Jesus. We've got to wait on Jesus. Third and finally, if we're going to reclaim the power of Pentecost in our life and in our church, we've got to be united in Jesus. Be united in Jesus. Acts 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost... All the believers, all of them, there was none left out. All the believers were meeting together in one place. That word together in the Greek is homothymodon. It means with one mind, with one accord. Accord is a fancy term for harmony and, and peacefulness. With one mind, with one accord, with one passion, driving force behind them. And in my opinion, I've talked to our staff about this recently. I've, I've talked with our council and elders about this recently. In my opinion, division is the single greatest problem that is facing the church today. 
the past two plus years have only exacerbated the enemy's uh, uh, attack of division on the church. Romans 16, Paul tells us, he says, stay away from those who cause division in the church and who cause division amongst believers. Stay away from them. He, he, he also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he reminds us that as believers, we are called to be of one heart and one mind. And then in Galatians 5, Paul includes division on a list of sinful actions and attitudes, along with the likes of sexual immorality, idolatry, jealousy, anger, drunkenness, and envy. It's a big deal, y'all. Division literally means two visions, die vision. And the fact of the matter is we can't move in two different directions at the same time without ripping ourselves in half. And then what happens is, is when we try to do that, those two separate parts become weaker than the whole of what it could be together. And when you and I, when we succumb to division in our life and within the, the local church, we play into the devil's hand because we know that this is how he hunts. He, he doesn't take down the, in, the entire herd at once. No, he gets those that are on the fringes and on the edges and he, he moves them away. It's like, it's like a lion hunting a zebra in the pride lands. And, and he, he gets them away from the herd and picks them off one by one by one. That is how the devil operates. And so if we're not united together, if we're not united in Jesus, all we're doing is we are setting ourselves, we're setting our church up for failure to be ripped apart instead of fulfilling what we've been called to fulfill. So if you and I, if we're going to reclaim the power of Pentecost in our lives, we're, we're going to reclaim the power of Pentecost in our church, we've got to get close to Jesus. We've got to wait on Jesus, and we've got to be united in Jesus. And each of these, if they're not handled properly, they can, they can cause a kink in the hose that will limit the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. You need to understand something here this morning. God's never going to force himself on anybody that doesn't want him. And like when it comes to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues or any of those other manifestations, like you're not going to be just like walking along one day and actually accidentally slip and fall into tongues. Like it's not going to happen that way. It's going to be because you are seeking after a loving God who wants to give good gifts to his children that ask him. That's how it's going to take place. It's going to be received by faith, not by accident. It's going to be received because we get close and we get still and we link arms with the other believers around us and we say, we're not going to move until God moves in us. That's how we reclaim the power of Pentecost. And the first step for us this morning, for somebody maybe here in this room, maybe watching online, is to simply step into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because his pow the power of his Holy Spirit, the, the infilling and overflowing of his Holy Spirit comes subsequent to faith in him. So if that's you here this morning and you've never entered into a covenant relationship with your heavenly father through his son, Jesus Christ, but you would like to today, I, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. If we bow our heads, close our eyes. If that's you here this morning, would you pray this prayer with me? 
Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Now, for the rest of us, I'll just leave you with this question. Are you open? Is your heart, is your life open? Would you be someone that would say, Pastor Blake, I, I want everything that the Holy Spirit has for me because I know that my God is a good, good father and I know that he has good, good gifts that he wants to bestow in my life. Are you open? Do you want to operate individually and as a body in the power of Pentecost? Because no matter where you are in your relationship and your experience with the Holy Spirit today, there's always more in store. Maybe somebody here this morning, maybe you need to repent. Maybe you've drifted away from the Lord and you're not experiencing the closeness that you once had with him. This morning is an invitation for you to come back to Jesus. Or maybe you've allowed the busyness of life to creep in and create a barrier between you and the fullness that the Holy Spirit wants to bestow in your life. So this morning, you simply need to slow down and just be with Jesus. Perhaps you've allowed your own agenda or desires to come between you and your relationship with God and his church and his people. Today, you simply need to realign your life with Jesus, begin moving once again in his direction. As the band comes to lead us in worship, to seal this word in our hearts here this morning, these altars are open. If that's you and you would say, I'm open, I'm ready for the Holy Spirit to do in me what he wants to do. I'm ready to surrender my entire self to him. I want to come back to a place of closeness with him, unity with his church. If that's you, then I would love to have the honor to just anoint you with oil today. Proclaim over you, just speak over you that in your life that you would reclaim the power so let's all stand together the band's going to come and lead us in worship if you'd like to be anointed this morning these altars are open you can come and stand let's worship the Lord together We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.